Hi, and welcome to episode 151 of No Crying in Baseball, the 247 won't be the new 2131 episode. My name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey there. I'm wondering all about those numbers that you're throwing around. Is there more math involved today? Do I have to study? Yes, there is, but don't worry. I'm here for you. I'm here for Excellent. you. But first, what are you drinking? I am drinking... A squeegee master beer from Silver Branch Brewing Company, an excellent local brewery in Silver Spring, Maryland. Love them. The squeegee master has a subtitle, Dazed and Confused, which definitely uh, describes me most of the time. So I'm happy with that. (laughs) The bonus is that it has pink guava, tangerine, mango, and Tahitian lime. Yes, this is a beer, folks. It counts as a serving as fruit, however, which is why I just ordered half a case of it to be delivered to my house tomorrow on Labor Day. But in the meantime, um, Kit, what, ask me what I'm drinking. Hey, Patty, what are you drinking on this fine Labor Day weekend? <laughs> because it's Labor Day, I am drinking a vodka tonic because it's important that I clear the house of clear, of clear it of clear, of clear liquor. Because after Labor Day, when you have to put away your white shoes and your white pants and switch it for your winter whites, you also switch your clear liquor for the caramel colored liquor because Mildred Mallon raised me right. Then I have a lot of gin and vodka to drink tonight because I, I don't know, there's, there's still a bit in the cabinet. But you know, if you got to do it, you got to do it. Well, it's not like a Jewish holiday where you can't have it in the house. You just have to have like the, you know, draw like the limits and put it in the back and just don't touch it for, you know, until Memorial Day. (laughs) You don't have to get like your non-celebrating friend to swear that they own it for the period of time. That's what we do for Passover. That's I I am your friend. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh, hey, I found a dead guy in the stands and in Seattle. Oh, no. Did you go to the, to the detectives right away? Um, so it was, yeah, but I'm bum. Yes, yeah. I, I did. I, but I identified him actually very quickly. And I hope you can too. I'm going to ask you this quiz. So this dead guy who is in the stands behind the on deck circle for the Mariners is the person responsible for the only version of the national anthem that I ever care to hear. I know the only one that I care to hear is Jimi Hendrix. So we're going to go with that. Got it in one. Got it That's in one. Crazy. What is he doing in a baseball stadium? Well, he grew up in Seattle, so he's supporting the home team, apparently. Yay. All right. Good taste, Mariners. On today's show, we are so happy to welcome our friend Tara Wellman to talk all things Cardinals. Tara is the co-host of the Chirps podcast and the Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast, and she's a contributor to to Birds on the Black. Today, the day we're recording, September 6th, is the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken Jr.'s record-setting game number 2,131. The trade deadline was um, this past week, so we're going to tell you about some trades of note. We are going to just ring the death knell for the minor leagues. My boyfriends are back, Nando never left, and the Roberto Clemente nominees, and as always, international baseball. All right, so today is the 25th day we're recording, which is Sunday, September 6, 2020, is the 25th anniversary of the Ironman Cal Ripken setting the record for consecutive game played games played, which was 2,131. He went on to play hundreds more, but this was the day that the record was set. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that, that it was just the minimum of it. Nobody is going to come near to this ever again. I feel like you just answered the math question. The closest person, the, the current record right now is Whit Merrifield, who has 
a record of 247 consecutive games. No one is ever going to reach 2,131 ever again. And in fact, um, Cal Ripken Jr. said that on his way to the ballpark that morning, he felt like he had a tiny little bit of a fever and he wasn't feeling great. So if that happened today, he'd be in quarantine for 14 days. Yeah, it just, everything gets reset now. Like, definitely. I remember, I think the last time I saw Cal Ripken play was 2001. Would that be right? What was his last year? It was 2001. Yep. Okay. So I was very, very pregnant. And we were, I I think I told this on the podcast before, but it must have been a long time ago. So nobody's going to remember. We were heading up to our like nosebleed seats. We got these last minute tickets, you know, let's just go see the O's. Friends were in town. We're heading up and somebody is on the escalator in front of us who turns around and says, do you want some box seat tickets? We're going up to the club level. We got, that was the whole thing. We got on the wrong escalator. We got on the one that was going up to the club level and we thought we were going up to the nosebleeds. And so the guy in front of us said, are you going to the club level? And we're like, oops, nope, wrong elevator. And then they happened to have four extra box seat tickets. So I think like being nice to the pregnant lady and we were right on third base. So we were right oh my next God. to him. So oh, I just like fantastic. stared at him, like knowing that this was a historic season, stared at him the whole time while sort of, you know, dealing with a child kicking my innards. <laughs> well, my kid was on the outside then. And my kid, in fact, <laughs> yeah. did attend with us the, his last game, oh, Cal Ripken's last so home cool. game. But this game, when he broke the record for consecutive games, you know who was in the, the stands? President at the time, Bill Clinton and Vice President Al Gore. And oh. Chelsea was definitely there and Tipper was there. And I don't know anybody else. I just saw that I, I saw some um, some clips, some video clips today. And I didn't remember that that happened. But but President Clinton was visiting the radio broadcast booth at the time when Cal hit his fourth inning home run and actually was gave the home run call. Oh, that's amazing. How did I not know that? Wow. I don't know, because we don't really so care cool. for those Orioles so much. Yeah. But here's, something, here's something that you might actually care about that I didn't know about until today when I was reading up on this. So Rafael Palmiero met Bill Clinton outside of the clubhouse before the game. You know, uh, Rafi played for the Orioles. He was he had a problem at the time, which was his brother was stuck in Cuba and he was trying to bring his brother to the United States. And he just mentioned that to President Bill Clinton, who then turned to, as Rafi says, the guy next to him and said, can you please fix that for Rafi? And very soon after that, Rafael Palmiero's brother and his wife and his family were in the United States. And that happened because of the event of Cal Ripken Jr. breaking that record and dignitary showing up. That's amazing. So many good things. And here's here's the mom thing for you. Okay, okay. it's a bad thing, really, but you know we appreciate this as moms. Um, that day at that that game, Cal's son Ryan, who was about two at the time, tossed him a ceremonial first pitch. Right before that record-setting oh my game. God. And today. Cal and his son, Ryan, Ryan, who now plays for the Bowie Bay Sox, which is in the mm-hmm. Orioles system, they they taped a ceremonial first pitch to be shown today, a Cal Ripken throwing to Ryan. That's so sweet. It was very sweet and very lovely. So um, you may be hearing a lot about the whole anniversary, and you should because it's a big fucking deal because no one is ever going to get there ever again. While we're on the O's, I just want to throw in there, the O's may be below 500, but they won the last three games against the Yankees. So yay. And they are above the Red Sox for sure. So one of my favorite Red Sox, Brock Holt, who's now with the Nationals. Last week, we gave like a big shout out to Brock Holt. 
Um, and then he proceeded to not do very well. And I remember him, I think it was striking out with the bases loaded to, to lose one of the first games. And I felt just so bad for him because he had a shit time with the Brewers, but he wasn't playing regularly. But Davey, bless his heart, kept playing him. I, th- I mean, I totally credit Davey Martinez for everything. I adore him. So Brock Holt yesterday, we're taping on Sunday, and I actually didn't look at the game today. I hope he did something today. He did. But yesterday, Saturday, he went four for five. And, and to, to put that in a framework, uh, Dan Kolko on Twitter tweeted that before he came to the Nats, he was four for 43. And then he was four for five yesterday. So I think there's a lot to be said for environment and management and just, you know, some sort of fit, you know, nothing against the Brewers, but maybe it just, it obviously wasn't where he was needed and where he felt comfortable. And I, you know, I of course adore the Nats and adore Davey. So I think that was good. That's going to be good for Brock. I'm going to keep hoping. I'm positive. He tripled and scored a run. Thank you very much. Oh my God. Today? Yeah. Oh, oh, I feel so good. There's very little love about the Nats Atlanta game today, but that was one of the things to love. All right. That made me feel better. Thank you. So the trade deadline was this past Monday and a lot happened. And we're not going to go through all the things that happened, but we're going to touch on a couple of things. Um, And the thing that I think is probably pretty important to both of us is that the Padres won the trade season. Everyone seems to agree the Padres won the trade season. And one of the reasons they did was they have a super deep farm system. So they were able to trade away a lot of prospects and still not really hurt their farm system all that much. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, they're saying that they retained their top 10 prospects mm-hmm. and they got a lot for the, the prospects they traded, It's it, which is just sort of fascinating. And there are a couple other people in the trade too, but the, the big gain, of course, was Mike Clevenger and that seeing the what was happening around him. And I don't know how much was, was connected to his bad behavior in Cleveland. Like, was he on his way out before then or was that just sort of... Cleveland right now is uh, lousy with starting pitching. They have so many good starting pitchers right now. They could actually spare one. And I think, I don't know for a fact, but I think that his recent behavior might have been what made him be that guy that they could spare. Although he did put together a very lovely goodbye to the city of Cleveland, which I may have teared up a little bit. You know, the Cleveland girl in me does that, but I'm very happy that he went to the Padres. That it is very sweet. I mean, I have something for him just because I like the flow. Like I, I definitely, he's good for our grooming segment. The part that cracked me up the most, though, is there was a one point where they, where they were saying, you know, they, whatever, whoever tweets a lot, that it was most probable him going to the Yankees, and I yeah. thought, no, no fucking way, he's not going to cut his hair. Like, what? I just no. can't see him as a Yankee. So please, he belongs. San Diego seems like a good fit, and God bless the Padres. Like, yes, go for it. They're, it's exciting. Well, and the Padres are, in fact, going for it. The Padres are all in. They are. They want to compete for the championship this year. They picked up, do you remember Trevor Rosenthal when he was with the Nationals at the beginning of just last year when he had an ERA of infinity? Oh, my God. Wow. What comes around and goes around? He, he's been saving games right and left. He is back. He's got his mojo back. And now he's with the Padres. So huh. good luck. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Austin Nola is is there. Mitch Moreland is now a Padre. Mm-hmm. And um, and Greg Allen went along with Mike Clevenger from the Cleveland team to the Padres. And there's a number of additional new members of the Padres while they still have their core intact. So the Padres, man, are just on a roll. Um, 
Toronto. You had a you had a boyfriend move to Toronto. Yeah, Jonathan VR, who I last thought of last year when he was with the O's because he was my O's boyfriend, but then he got traded to the Marlins, but apparently it was a very short-term thing. And now he's up in Toronto, which it seems to be good for him, but is just the AL East is intense now. You know, the 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 Red Sox are just rock bottom and there is no way out. And the Blue Jays are fighting the Yankees for second. And the Blue Jays are looking fabulous. I mean, they're really looking fabulous. They just played the Red Sox. So I got that close up and personal. But a lot, they're young. They're young and energetic and good. And this is without Beau Bichette, my boyfriend, who mm-hmm. is out on injury. So um, the long line of Beau rhymes, no Beau. So they picked up <laughs> VR. They also picked up um, Vogelback. Vogelback for as DH bat, so they they are trying to replace what they're missing out with with um, Bo Bichette being gone for right now. And I think they made a couple of good picks for that. Um, the Oakland A's picked up uh, Tommy Lastella and Mike Miner. The Marlins picked up Starling Marte, which the notable thing about that is that gets the D-backs down to a manageable only one Marte on the team <laughs> instead of two unrelated Martes on the team. Um, and Cleveland picked up uh, my current. Padres boyfriend, Josh Naylor, and a previous Padres boyfriend, Austin Hedges, as part of this whole trade. And Josh Naylor is um, actually, I think, happy to be there in that he's going he's gonna, to you know, be starting in the outfield, which wasn't the case with the Padres. So he's getting a little bit more airtime, such as it is. That, that other Marte was my baseball boyfriend for the D-backs last year, Cattell Marte. So glad, glad to see that he still gets the spotlight. We haven't talked about the minor leagues for a while. Um, we've been sort of just, you know, letting it all stew, like what's really going to happen with that proposal to contract the minor leagues by, four, by 42 teams, which came up last fall and kind of went through the winter a little bit. And then my fear was that like this COVID summer season was going to be a test run for eliminating minor league teams and switching to just using training camps and stuff. Well, it's coming to fruition. The agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball expires at the end of this month. It expires on September 30th. They are technically negotiating a new professional baseball agreement, but it sounds like MLB is just going to run their proposal through. Um, and they're, we're going to talk a lot more about this in detail with, in our interview with Tara. Um, it's probably going to be in the extended interview that we're going to release separately, but I'm going to go over this just briefly, but more details can be found in that. Minor League Baseball will be run out of Major League Baseball's offices. The There will be a limit to 120 affiliate teams, which means four teams for each Major League team. Teams, It said teams will, quote, pick their affiliates. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means like the, the four locations that are closest to them. I don't know what that means. But again, an awful lot of control goes to the Major League team. They're going to eliminate rookie and short season A teams and the people that would be assigned, oh. the players that would be assigned to all of those teams would be training at the spring training facilities, um, which is not playing games in a league. It's honing some skills basically, you know, in a bullpen and in a batting cage and all of that. And that's also not a job as a player, which means those guys aren't going to get paid. Not oh that minor le- leaguers get paid very much, but they won't get paid anything. They're just going to be going to, you know, training class basically. Um, They're still talking about losing 42 teams, but they may not be the same 42 teams that were on the list that was leaked last fall, which is also kind of pitting some of the owners against each other the way Major League Baseball likes to do, because everyone is jockeying jockeying for position to be the team that gets kept. 
Um, in this proposal, Major League Baseball would run the merchandising, the sponsorships, um, any broadcast rights. They would split the revenues with the club, but it would all happen through Major League Baseball. And they said, oh, but don't worry. Those communities that are losing their team, they have choices. Those teams could have, they could join wooden bat leagues and just have college kids. You don't have to pay those kids. Or you could form an independent league or you could fold. It'll be fine. So yikes for minor league baseball. It just makes me want to weep. I just keep thinking about Pulaski. Yep. Right? That's rookie. That's an amazing ballpark. Sure is, but we don't know. But at some of those locations may change what level team they have. So it okay. could be that, oh, you have a great ballpark. Maybe your level is going to be gone, but maybe it would be reassigned to a different level. Who knows? We don't know. Nobody knows. It's just bad. Bad news. And and it's not like what baseball needs right now with so much uncertainty and upheaval. This is this is rough. So again, this more details rough. about that in a more um, a fuller conversation about what this means for communities and what this means for um, entry-level players will be found in our full interview with uh, Tara Wellman, which will be released later this week. But meanwhile, we have our boy baseball boyfriends, as we always do. These are the guys that Patty and I pick every year, one per team, because we connect with them in some kind of way. And now we've got a whole gaggle of them because this is our third season of picking them. So we kind of go back into the baseball boyfriend archives a little bit because for me, it's kind of hard to let go of these guys. Last year, last year I picked Tatis Jr., so some, I think I, I blossom early. <laughs> I totally, <laughs> like I, I had my radar on him a little early. And he just got, for the first time, National League Player of the Month for August. No big surprise, especially if you've been listening to us with all of the wonderful things that he's been doing. But it's his first time. And so just a little bit of a throwback to our interview with Hell's Bells. Does that make it special? Because it's his first time under this COVID thing. I don't know. I still think it's pretty cool. He got 11 home runs in August on top of a whole bunch of other great stats. But I mentioned the home runs because the only other person who did it was my baseball boyfriend currently from the Nationals, Juan Soto. And the other notable thing about this is that Tatis Jr. was the first Padre to get player of the month since Will Myers in June 2016. So, yes, it is the time for the Padres now. They deserve all of the attention that they're getting. I had a bunch of boyfriends get sent down or sent away for various reasons. But can I just tell you that my boyfriends are back. And I, Are you going to yeah, sing? Do it. Do it. I want you to sing. My boyfriend's <laughs> back, back and going to be in trouble. Yeah. Okay. Hey anyway. Now, hey. Yeah. <laughs> So Carter Kibu, my Nats boyfriend, got set back down for 10 days because he wasn't um, aggressive enough with the plate. He was trying so hard. I think I might have mentioned on this show, on a previous episode, that I thought he always looked kind of pained when he was about, like super stressed out. So he was sent down for 10 days to kind of work on things. And he's back. And Davey says he's going to be the starting third baseman for the rest of the season, which is only like three and a half more weeks because, oh, my God. But his first oh game God. back, he singled and scored a run. So great. Um, Oscar Mercado, my Cleveland boyfriend, got sent down because he was having a very bad time. And he actually talked about his time at the training facility, the alternate training site. He got sent down on August 17th. So he's been there a couple of weeks now. And he really got his confidence back so much so that his first game back, they were playing the Brewers. And he hit a double off of Josh Hader, which broke Ooh. Josh Hader's streak of being no hit for 12 appearances. Oh, wow. So that boyfriend's back. 
Nice. Miguel Andujar of the Yankees has been back and forth and back and forth a couple times to the alternate training site. He came back in time to drive in a game-winning run against the Orioles on the first of the two games on Friday. But that's okay. The O's came back and won the second game and then yesterday and then today. And Nick Senzel, my Reds boyfriend who was mysteriously on the IL for no stated reason, claims that he got some great news on Monday and has been cleared to practice. So he is, they didn't say when he's going to be back to the Reds, but he's on his way back to the Reds. In the meantime, the Reds picked up my former boyfriend, Brian Goodwin, for help in the outfield, partially because Nick Senzel had this mysterious reason for being on the IL. Hmm. couple other boyfriends of note, um, Anthony Santander of the O's may be out for the season because he has an oblique strain. Oblique strains usually take a couple of weeks, and we've only got a couple more weeks. Um, Eugenio Suarez, a previous boyfriend of mine, had a three-home run game, the first time he's ever had a three-home run game against the Pirates. And the reason I want to point that out, I mean, a lot of people have been having multi-home run games. I mean, home runs, again, crazy this year. But I learned in reading about this that he always signs off for his with from his media appearances by saying, good vibes only. So I like it. I like I it, like I it too. That. That's right. So I'm feeling we need some good vibes only. Mm-hmm. And Pete Alonso, the polar bear, hit his very first walk-off hit, which was also a first walk-off home run during extra innings against the Yankees on Thursday, which was the day which the Mets were honoring the late Tom Seaver. So that was Aww. a very special day in the world of the Mets. And Pete said, I feel like he is smiling down on us. That is awesome. You, Your boyfriends are doing mighty good things. You know, Freddie Freeman got a Grand Slam this week also. So two. You've just, two. Two. Against Wait, the two? Nationals. Two against the Nationals. He did one today, too. So he oh, never had I missed today's. He, I wasn't going to bring that one up because it hurts. It hurts badly. You keep yeah. stabbing me with daggers. Of Yeah. Oh, he had never but, hit a home run. I, I, he had never hit a Grand Slam before. Right. Freddie Freeman had never hit a grand slam until, you know, a few days ago when he went against the Nationals. And then today when he went against the Nationals. That's incredible. Well, see, that's why the baseball boyfriend thing is so wonderful, because we can appreciate them when they do well, even when it's poking us in the heart a little bit. But you've got your boyfriends have a lot of heart because every year when we have the Roberto Clemente Award, which is basically a baseball boyfriend award, it's for a guy who's doing good. And and Patty's always great at Picking the doing good guys. And by doing good, you mean like in the community? Yeah, doing a lot of positive things. And I there was just too much doing good to write down. So I've got the names. But if you want the details, we'll definitely put the link in the show notes. Uh, one interesting footnote on this, not a baseball boyfriend, but Mitch Moreland, as you said, going to the Padres is nominated for the Red Sox. So I don't know what that says about the Red Sox, that they're like willing to trade away their do-gooder guy. But there, there you go. He's still nominated for it. And Hunter Pence is also nominated for the Giants and not with the Giants. Yeah, he got DFA'd. So I think what happens is they have oh. to nominate these guys early on. They just don't announce the nominees until later. And so things happen. And those guys aren't necessarily with those teams anymore. But Hunter Pence sent a very nice thank you note for being able to represent the Giants, even if he wasn't really working for them anymore. Ouch. I didn't know he was DFA'd. Holy cow. Well, you totally went out. So your current baseball boyfriend who got an award is Miguel Rojas, but you've got a bunch of formers, Tim Anderson, White Sox, Nelson Cruz, who didn't he get like some, the, the he got it last year, right? Well, he got the Muhammad Ali Award oh, recently. That, was, that was the most recent one. That was the ESPY Award. He's uh, just always doing good things. 
Um, and D. Strange Gordon, who notably recently legally changed his name and put it in his MLB profile as well. And if folks had been listening to our show for when you originally chose D. Gordon a couple years ago, you told the story of how his mom was killed when he was very young. And he's put his mom's last name in there to honor her. And, and horribly, she was killed from domestic violence when he was six years old. So... So much love going out to D. Strange Gordon there. Freddie Freeman, who we talked about before. Jason Hayward, I think, is an interesting pick for the Cubs, considering what we were talking about last week with the whole um, racial equity stuff with with Andy and Sarah. Uh, Josh Bell and Ian Desmond. And then if we want to give some pitcher cred, because we picked pitchers as a flock, but you did pick Sean Doolittle, right? Can we point out that Ian Desmond is actually has opted out this year? So he's representing the Rockies, but isn't actually playing this year. So that's actually three. That, I mean, he's technically still with them, but he's not playing this year. That says a lot, too. Like, but yeah. One of the things he was nominated for was that um, community baseball work that he talked about spending his time doing in his opt-out year. Huh. Wow. Well, I don't have any. I mean, as usual, you totally won this award. I have a few former boyfriends who got it, including Justin Turner of the Dodgers, Eduardo Escobar, Miggy Cabrera. And then my pitchers did well just by association. Adam Wainwright, who we t- where you'll hear a lot about with, with our interview with Tara and Stephen Matz of the Mets. And then I had picked the Astros when uh, Mr. Morton, Charlie Morton was was with them. And now he's with the Rays and he got the nod from them. But Baseball Boyfriend Awards. And today on No Crying in Baseball, we have another guest kick-ass female podcaster, Tara Wellman, who is the co-host of the Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast and also the co-host of the Chirps podcast and blogger. Both of those are found on birdsontheblack.com. So, hey, Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We always kick it off a little bit by asking about your personal connection to baseball. And that can be anything, past, present, or future. What, what would you say is your personal connection to baseball? Well, it's an interesting difference in the two, right? My present connection to baseball mm-hmm. and my past connection to baseball Presently, I work in the sports broadcasting industry. So for the last decade or so, I've been able to, especially on the minor league side, cover baseball in a professional sense, which has been a really cool thing because of my personal connection to baseball that is the reason that I sort of went that direction professionally. Uh, My dad is my baseball buddy, and he always has been. Uh, He grew up in St. Louis and was a St. Louis Cardinals fan, obviously, as you are when you grow up in the city. And Mm -hmm. that's all I really knew. However, I was I was born in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and lived there until I was wow. 15. So I've always been and now I live in uh, in Iowa, I'm still about three and a half hours from St. Louis. So I've always been a very uh, long distance St. Louis Cardinals fan. So growing up as I did very far away from baseball, w- before baseball was as accessible to out of market fans, um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to watch and listen and experience the team as I do now. But, you know, it was always kind of just in my blood because of my dad. In fact, his dad once had a a walk-on contract offered 
after he'd been in the military oh. for a number of years. It was a, a weird situation where they were, you know, holding basically tryouts and anyone could come and, and play a little and he was offered yeah. a contract. Uh, unfortunately for him at the time, there was one Bill White who was playing, uh, <laughs> would be ahead of him in St. Louis. So his opportunity to actually play in St. Louis would have been very limited. And he was, you know, married with multiple children and the, the whole minor league bus life with minimal uh, financial assistance there didn't seem like a good family plan um so he he turned down that offer but baseball's been in my family in that regard for forever so it was always kind of something that was there and then when my family moved to the midwest when i was in high school i started to have a lot of friends who were interested in baseball cardinals fans reds fans cubs fans you name it and all of a sudden it was a lot more fun to spend a lot of time learning the game and knowing the stats and paying attention to every day when it was something that I had people to converse about it with so sure. i always say i'm i'm an incredibly shy like painfully shy person in in normal life um, but baseball was kind of always the thing that allowed me to connect with people. And once I realized someone liked baseball or they knew that I knew about baseball, all of a sudden we could talk for forever. And so it was kind of that connection for me to other people that I, I was able to be confident in, even when I was very uh, lacking a lot of confidence as a kid. <laughs> I totally get that. And it feels like that's a thing today. I mean, that's about us like connecting online and stuff Absolutely. and being able to hit it off with so many different things because we've got this thing that we're, you know, all so into. A, a couple other things I was thinking of while you were talking. One, did did you know Sarah from, from uh, Cup of Cubby Blues from Utah also? I, I know I'm that guessing. now. I've learned that recently. I didn't know that uh, <laughs> until recently, but it was funny when we both realized that actually – Quick story about that. When we both realized that, it was when the Michael Jordan documentary series was airing. Oh, so not that long ago. No, not that long ago. Wow. We both grew up in Utah during that era. So we both immediately connected <laughs> over the painful memories mm -hmm. as Utah Jazz oh. fans as children. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, that is so sweet. The other thing I was thinking is that means just baseball is imprinted in your DNA from that whole experience oh, yeah. with Absolutely. your lineage. Like that, <laughs> I think that affects your DNA. That's That's in you, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, th there are many other stories that kind of follow that. I have a cousin who, um, as the story goes, struck out Albert Pujols twice in American Legion ball. So uh, oh there are a bunch of random <laughs> little stories best. like that where it's like, it is part of me. <laughs> well, you know what? Whether it's true or urban legend, stick with it. That's an exactly, awesome. Exactly. Right? Go with that. <laughs> so I didn't realize you were in Iowa. That's like the land where there is no non-blacked out baseball. Yeah, we're blacked out from six teams. Six teams in the state that of Iowa. That is nuts. It's, yeah. uh, it's insane. And so fortunately for me, as the millennial that I am, my parents have a television package with um, Fox Sports Midwest included. And so I just, you know, use their information and watch you baseball do that what way. You do what you got to do. As we do, right? <laughs> Nobody will know. Trust us. <laughs> But but that's it, it's the weirdest thing, and it's so frustrating. Um, you know, it's it's similar in regard to the conversation about minor league baseball right now. There is no access to major league teams in the state of Iowa, and yet multiple Iowa minor league teams are on the chopping block for disappearing oh. and taking baseball out of God. the communities here. So Iowa is a real. You know, they, they call it flyover country. And the running yep. joke when I moved here was that everyone thought it was either Ohio or Idaho and no one knows where Iowa is. So <laughs> that's kind of how baseball treats it, too. It's just like, oh, you're people live there. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I briefly lived in San Diego and a waiter. I, I'm, from, I'm from Ohio. I'm from okay. Ohio, not Iowa, not Idaho, <laughs> but Ohio. And 
a waiter asked me where I was from and I said, Ohio. And he said, oh, I had a girlfriend who was from South Dakota. Is that close? <laughs> and it was just like this whole middle of the country. It's like this uh -huh. just one unified yeah. thing. And it's like, oh, no, yeah. no, no, it's not. So I want to ask you about one very specific part of the Midwest. And that is, in fact, St. Louis specifically, which, as you talked about, is such a baseball town. Can you say more about that? Because it seems like that's like almost the identity of the city. It really is. Yeah. You know, that's that's a great way to put it. And St. Louis takes a lot of heat for a lot of reasons, and I think unfairly so. It's kind of one of those things that somebody says one thing, and then you run with it, and all of a sudden, it's it becomes the identity of the city. And look, it's not perfect. It's like any major city where there's you know issues with crime, and there's issues with the the local governments, and there's issues with whatever. It's like any major city in that regard. But it's a beautiful place, and that city downtown. They've done a lot of of work in the last I don't know decade to kind of revitalize some of the the uh, places that were kind of surrounding the ballpark that maybe needed a little help, but they've done so much good work. And there's, uh, it's a really cool city in the sense that it is a city, it is a major city, but it kind of feels a little more homey <laughs> in, in some regards. Uh, you feel a little closer to people, even though you're not right on top of people like you might be in a, in an even bigger city, but baseball is in everything that happens in that town. It's in the signs and the windows of every building. Uh, you know, it's everyone in town knows what's going on with the Cardinals. I was actually in St. Louis last fall when the blues and the Cardinals were both playing. The blues were kind of on that magical run and it's the coolest feeling in a city like that that kind of lives and breathes with their sports teams. And you see it in the windows, you feel it in the streets, people wearing their team gear, passing each other on the street and saying things. It's, it's, it's a really cool experience for the sports fan in the sense that everybody, whether you're a diehard sports fan, baseball fan or not, you still know what's going on with the Cardinals. And I think that makes it a really fun place to learn about the game, to experience the game, to kind of have those rivalries, whether you're super hardcore into it or not. It's just kind of part of the fabric of that city. I, I can totally get that as a Bostonian. I'm from mm, Boston, so yeah. I'm a Red Sox fan, third generation. And and honestly, I've been wanting to, you know, thank you. I think the Cardinals hold a special place in my heart because of 2004 and how well the Red Sox were treated, honestly, <laughs> like to win that away, right? So they, the Red Sox win the first series for the yeah. first time in a bazillion years in St. Louis and we're treated well by the Cardinals in the process. So Love hearing I've that. heard yeah. lots of good things about Sox fans going there and being led into the stadium and things like that. So that's, that's just really nice. But that idea of it being a sports town, Boston is a lot like that. And where we are in DC, it's really interesting because people bring their sports here. So mm. there are a lot of people yeah. here who are fans of, you know, everywhere because DC is such a transient kind of town in a lot of ways. And and it's a different feeling. I love it. And Nats, you know, bless them, have done amazing with creating a fan base here. And we're totally on that. But it's it's still a little bit different than the whole city is always on that that city sports, you know, yeah. around the clock. Yeah, it's a it's a really unique I mean, even if you think about a place like LA uh, or even New York where they have such intense fan bases in for some of their sports teams there's just so much else going on and i think yeah. that's one of the things about st louis is that there's not that much else going on <laughs> i mean there's other stuff but as far as like ways to distract you from the things that have always been important in that city um it's it's never going to lose its place as one of the primary focal points in st louis and that's what makes it just really easy to be there and kind of get that feeling of oh these these people are serious about their baseball <laughs>
So the baseball is very serious about the baseball too in uh, St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, like we always hear about, well, we used to hear, we used to hear about the Cardinal way. I mean, you know, there are rules, there's a like sort of outlook, there's a structure, there's a, there's a way we play baseball here. I don't hear that so much anymore. Is there still the Cardinal way or have we moved differently or what's happening? You know, I think that idea of the Cardinal way kind of took on a life of its own and not necessarily in a positive light. I think a lot of other people outside of St. Louis, a lot of other fan bases kind of jumped on it and turned it into this like, oh, yeah, the Cardinal way. Okay. (laughs) Right. Um, And a lot of people kind of got tired of that and got tired of that phrase being somehow this slight against St. Louis and how they did baseball when in reality – It was basically, I mean, not basically, it is like a manual that they're given in spring training that talks about the basics of the game, that talks about how to be a professional, that talks about how to do baseball as your job and to do it well. And I mean, it gets really specific in a lot of the things that are expected of players in that organization. And the idea of, well, we do baseball the right way or whatever. Every organization says that, right? That's not exclusive to St. Louis, but somehow this idea of the Cardinal way got turned into what was used as kind of this like, oh, this this self-righteous Cardinals that have the Cardinal way. So I think they've backed off from using that as much in the last uh, handful of years, simply because, well, in part, Mike Matheny used it a lot. <laughs> and oh, really? There, there may be a separation uh, there right. in, in how they talk about things uh, post right. Mike Matheny, but it did kind of get turned into a negative. And, and I always try to clarify with people, it doesn't mean anything other than there's a certain way, there's a certain expectation, a certain standard of how you do baseball as a professional in this organization. That's it. So it's not really this, you know, high and mighty thing that a lot of people think it is when they hear that phrase. But that's sort of what it turned into. What what I like about it is that, from what I've read about it, it's it's presented at all levels throughout, like mm-hmm. through the minors and everything. So yeah. when the kids come in and they're going to start coming up, they're going to know what to expect because exactly. they're learning things the same way that if and when they they make it all the way up, it's the same thing. And that's that's really what I mean. George Kissel is kind of the one who started that and basically wrote the manual that was like, hey, this is what we need to make sure everyone at every level is doing and is learning and is teaching so that there's a cohesiveness throughout the organization. And I mean, that's certainly not a bad thing. (laughs) That's certainly not a a thing that I, I think you would look down on as far as organizational strategy. And it's something that, you know, I've talked to minor leaguers and they talk about the cardinal way. They know what it means and they then are expected to apply it. And if if they don't apply it, if they don't kind of fall into or learn or digest what it means to play in this organization, they're going to struggle and they're going to have a hard time moving up and moving forward simply because, look, those expectations aren't there just as a kind of fun fact. It's it's what you need to do to be successful in, in this world. And um, yeah, it is. It's it's top to bottom organizational. And, and I think that's a pretty... It's a pretty smart strategy. Strategy, And when you look at how successful the Cardinals have been in building great teams from within their own organization, it's hard to knock it. Right. Absolutely. So it would seem that a team like that, that's that organized, should be able to deal with emergencies that come on. So we kind of have to go to 
the recent COVID situation with the Cardinals and how they dealt with it. And I have to admit that, you know, when the, when the news came out and there was this big splash that, you know, first the Marlins and then the Cardinals, right? Wasn't that the order? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, I followed it for the hot second of news and then it kind of went away and I went back to, to focusing on teams that I usually watch. So what's been sort of the overall fallout from this situation? You know, the fallout I, is frustrating to me in the sense that, the story that anyone who's sort of tangentially paying attention to baseball believes mm-hmm. is not fact. So that's been the most frustrating piece of this is that sure. initially there was – Get that out. Yeah. There was this this Twitter rumor that was run with by some national level writers and reporters that the Cardinals all went to a, a casino when, when they were in Milwaukee and that's where they got COVID. That yeah. did not happen. That is not how they contracted COVID. They know to the person where it came from. And it happened in St. Louis before they ever got on the road. They didn't go to a casino in Milwaukee. That wasn't a thing that happened. Now, there was some some photo floating around of Carlos Martinez out partying in St. Louis. It was confirmed later that it wasn't him in the picture. So this whole thing that was going on, Derek Gould from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch did a huge breakdown of here's what people are saying. Here's what everyone ran with. Here's what I can track down. They went to the casino in Milwaukee and had (laughs) them look through tape of who came in and who went out. And no Cardinals players were there. So that's not how it happened. And yet, the number of times I hear, oh, irresponsible Cardinals going out and partying, when it didn't happen. (laughs) But unfortunately, that was the first thing that anyone saw. That was the first thing that anyone ran with. And that's where the kind of responsibility of a national writer to confirm those things before even sharing them as rumor, just putting it out there in a larger, broader sense, is incredibly damaging to any sort of factual narrative in what happened and what didn't. So that would be the first thing. That's incredibly frustrating that we're still dealing with the fallout in that regard. But as far as baseball, Man, it's so it's such a weird thing to try to figure out. Look, part of the fallout is that Carlos Martinez still isn't back. Part of the fallout is that Jack Flaherty still uh. isn't built up to go 100 pitches in a game. And as a result, the first game he didn't have a pitch count. He was out in two and uh, two and two thirds, I believe, because he just doesn't have he was stuck in a hotel for almost two weeks trying to throw bullpens against the mattress in his hotel room. That's not normal. You can't then throw someone back into the normal sort of rhythm and routine of baseball and expect them to function properly. So it's that sort of extreme where there are players who still aren't back. There are players who then had their entire season interrupted that they're so far behind them trying to make up so many games at once that it's impossible to even look at this team on the field and I I guess realistically analyze what's happening and what's not because it's so abnormal. Yeah. So what's the schedule like with all these doubleheaders? Like, are they constantly in doubleheaders? It's pretty insane. They played a doubleheader on Saturday against the Cubs. That worked out well for you. It did. It did work out well for me. Uh, my Cubs fan boyfriend did not agree, but it oh, worked out great for me. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, no, so they played a, a, a doubleheader on Saturday, and including that doubleheader, there's, what, a month of the season left or so? Um, they play seven doubleheaders, including yesterday, so six more after yesterday in the you know five weeks or so that are left in the season. So it, it eliminates off days. It eliminates your ability to reset. And look, that first game of that doubleheader was Jack Flaherty not going 
out of the third inning. So when you start off a, a doubleheader that way, and they played, uh, they play again on on Monday in Chicago to finish up that series, and they go immediately into a doubleheader with the Twins, and then they have an off day, and then they have a doubleheader, I believe, with Detroit, and then they that's their last off day. They don't have another off day through the the remainder of the season. So wow. if you have one thing that goes wrong in one start that sets you off, and you have to use three guys that you weren't expecting to use that day. It can the the ripple effects can last for two weeks at that point. So yeah, it's it's wild. It's just hard to even wrap my head around how you would manage in a season where there are multiple doubleheaders a week. And you think that oh well, you know, a seven inning game at least that helps save your bullpen. Well, it does unless you have a flirty situation or something. You can't count on that. Yeah. Now now the good thing is by some miracle, Adam Wainwright is like Cy Young Adam Wainwright again. Oh, he had to stay in. I was watching that his last game and he just, they had to keep him in and he it's just amazing. had to do it. But so he, he threw a, a complete game in his last start, then pitched the second game of the doubleheader yesterday. And mm-hmm. fortunately, you know, you always wonder after that complete game, right? He threw 122 pitches. You think, okay, is he going to, is he going to have to, you know, back off a little bit? Is he going to be a little extra tired? Adam Wainwright, <laughs> you know, I could tell in the fifth inning, he was he was starting to feel it a little bit. He wasn't quite as quick to, uh, you know, the next pitch. He was struggling a little bit more to find that extra snap on the curveball. And uh, still, he he gutted it out till there was, uh, you know, one out in the in the seventh. So yeah. he was able to give them those extra innings that they kind of lost from Jack Flaherty earlier. And that's not the first time he's done that this year. He's been the saving factor of, of that rotation um, with all these double headers going on. And, and that, that complete game was his 39th birthday, right? Yeah, it was 39. (laughs) What a way to fucking celebrate your 39th birthday. So what I'm going to do right now, dear listeners, is I'm putting a pin in this for a moment because I can't believe that we've already got our, our episode chunk in. (laughs) So I'm going to say that we are maybe a quarter of the way through the questions that we have for, for Tara. So please Keep your eyes open in a couple of days when we drop this entire interview. And actually, Tara, do you want to just give your um, contact info now so that it's in the episode? Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Tara Wellman. And that's sort of the hub for everything else. So the Chirps podcast, Birds on the Black, the Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast, anything else that I, I put out there content wise, that's that's where you can find it. Thanks again to Tara Wellman for joining us today. Be sure to find her on Twitter. And now we are going to talk about international baseball as usual, CPBL, which I've been watching the past few days. I I wish we had recorded yesterday because I would have been able to say that my Lions were still in first place. But alas, Uh they got beat pretty badly by the Monkeys. They got swept, actually, by the Monkeys this weekend. And it was a sight to be seen. It was a sight to be seen for a lot of reasons, one of which was that there was a major there were two kerfuffles yesterday there were bench clearing discussions in, in the, the CPBL yes and wow. it was it was ugly and the the monkeys are hitting the lions and um with what they're hit, they're hitting the lions they're they're hitting it out of the park they're hit, what do you mean by hitting the lions hitting hit by pitching hitting they're by they're beating the them they're yes, beating them the, okay they're beaming them yeah and right. and unilions tom and i wish i'd written down the facts has has sort of outlined how many lions have been beamed by the monkeys in this series wow. but including one player, um, and I, I really need to do my research before I say these players now, Kwao Fun Lin, who was hit by a pitch three times in the game yesterday. In one, one game? One guy. 
one game. So the third time led to a benches clearing discussion. And that one got to be a little more than a discussion. And it was actually such a funny scene because they were all sort of almost pushing each other. There was some contact there, but there was so much friendliness between sides that literally the the Lions manager was in serious danger. There were a bunch of monkeys coming at him. And Nunu, who is the first (laughs) baseman that I've been trying to fix you up with, literally picked up the manager like a sack of potatoes and swung him around. And it is the best gif. GIF, GIF. I always get that wrong. GIF. GIF is the peanut butter. You always teach me that. It is the best GIF. And I will give you the link for the show notes because it's adorable to sort of swing this manager around. Was he swinging him to safety or? um... Yes, to safety. He was doing a good thing. So this this is the guy that's definitely baseball boyfriend points. Nunu, the smiley first baseman, picked up the Lions manager and swung him around like a sack of potatoes to bring him to safety. It was adorable and a great photo op at one and the same time. So that means that the monkeys are are barely not not any game length, but like a decimal point of whatever the the average is behind the Fubon Guardians. They're essentially tied for first place, Fubon and the monkeys. The Lions are only a half a game behind, and the brothers are one and a half ga- games behind that. So, folks, if you're not watching breakfast baseball in Taiwan, I recommend that you do it very soon because you know er- anything could happen at this point. It's good for anybody. How much more of the season is there? It's pretty much the same as ours. I'm okay. I'm pretty sure that playoffs are in October. So okay. there's lots more baseball to watch. Lots more could happen. And I have a jersey coming in the mail, which I will definitely model when it gets here someday. But it's coming from Taiwan, so it's going to take a while. Uh, then in Korea, my dinos are in a little bit of trouble because their ace, Kucheng Mo, has a forearm fracture. And it took a while to diagnose it, apparently, that he was pulled out with irritation. There was a lot of swelling at the end of July, but they just diagnosed it as a fracture. I don't know. I would think that x-rays could tell from swelling. But anyway, this could hurt the dinos. They've been in first place, as you probably know, because I keep mentioning this week after week. And they still are. But who knows? The Twins are only a game behind. The Heroes, one and a half behind them. The Wyverns, 28 and a half, still hanging in there. And the Eagles, 32 games back. One interesting side note with COVID is, yes, no more fans in Korea still. And there are two minor league players who tested positive from the Eagles. Oh, yeah. So apparently it's contained. They did test all of the teams that they had come into contact with. No other news yet. Let's hope it stays that way. All right. So we've got... Lots of doubleheaders to watch with the Cardinals. We've got whatever your team is playing like crazy for three and a half more weeks. We've still got breakfast baseball. If that's not enough for you, please feel free to listen to some back episodes of No Crying in Baseball or tell your friends about us so they can listen to. Leave us a review or a rating if you can. And please do find us on social media. Talk to us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast, Facebook and Instagram and No Crying in B-Ball. Please watch for our full interview with Tara Wellman to be released later this week. And until then, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Goodnight, Potty Mouth. Oh,